Fantastic. Well, this morning we're kicking off a series, as I said just a short while ago, titled Thrive. And this particular story about Christa, Christopher McCandless is actually a true story. In the early 1990s, he embarked upon his own social experiment. He went into the wilds of the Alaskan wilderness in order to discover himself, and if you like, to cut away from the rest of society. And these were the words that he wrote down in his journal, tragically, before he got to put them into his own practice and experience. Because with the winter thaw and the melt of the snow, it actually stopped him from getting back to civilization. He couldn't cross the river. And there he died in his bus from malnutrition and eating the wrong kind of plant root material that ended up poisoning him. But this is what he wrote about his own insights into, if you like, how and where can people thrive and what makes for happiness. He wrote this, happiness is only real when shared. You see, this question isn't the only time, uh, he's not the only person who's asked this question over the generations. This last week, I've been exploring a particular study known as the Grant Study. In the 1940s, there was a, a particular man by the name of William Grant, who uh, was a wealthy man, and he decided to bankroll a particular study that's become known as the longest longitudinal study on human flourishing known to our civilization and mankind that's currently actually still in existence. And it's called, the, after his own name, the Grant Study. And in the Grant Study, he actually, uh, if you like, employed some people. Um, they started with Harvard uh, students over in the United States, Harvard University students. Um, and, and what they wanted to do was, over the series of an entire lifetime, have sociologists and psychiatrists and researchers observe the human life. Well, they extended the sample group not only to the wealthy people who were attending Harvard, but also the poor people who were living in Boston, young men who were living in the tenement districts. And so with this sample size of 724 men, they embarked on the longest longitudinal study in the history of mankind. Well, it started in the 1940s. And there was a particular doctor by the name of Bock who said, we need to do this study more than ever before because this was his analysis of the 1940s. This is what he said. The stress of modern pressures he realized, for which the current generation of students have been largely left unprepared, ensures that we need to undertake this particular study to discover what is it that contributes to human flourishing. <clears throat> well, many of them enrolled and then they went to war and then they returned and they married, they had children, they undertook careers. Some of them, um, if you like, scaled the heights of success, others died. Or perhaps, if you like, uh, led a, a floundering kind of life. One became a president. <laughs> and after 75 years and $20 million, the preceding surveyor and cultivator of this particular study by the name of George Valent wrote a book called The Experience of the Triumphs of Experience. And this is what he concluded. After 75 years, $20 million invested, of which there's still a handful of people in the study still alive, thriving into their 90s, this is what he concluded. He said this, there's two pillars that make for a thriving life. One is love. And the second one is, the other is finding a way of coping with life that does not push love away. Happiness is love. 
can stop. <laughs> Profound. $20 million, 75 years. We came to the conclusion that if I think if we asked each one of us as human beings, what is it that makes for a happy, thriving, flourishing life? We talk about relationships and love. Not only the ability to give love, but the ability, if you like, to receive it as well for as long as you can, as often as you can, throughout the course of our lives. Profound. In fact, there's something about love which just seems to have a power not only to connect, but to transform our human lives. Love. If you like, the writers of the Bible centuries ago arrived at the same conclusion. They wrote this, the book of Genesis. It says in that first discourse in chapter 2, it has a narrative that goes like this. It's not good for man to be alone, says God. I will make him a helper suitable for him. In other words, what they discovered and what they've said in, in the book of Genesis, but what they also concluded after this longitudinal study that's still going and, and still providing rich research to the human psyche. They discovered this, that aloneness kills and the human beings were made for companionship at the core of ourselves, in the heart of hearts. There's something wired into our psyche to yearn and thrive on relationship. If you like, you said that the epitome of this particular study over all these years can be narrowed down into one particular human that George Valence studied. They called him Godfrey Camille. Godfrey Camille, when he entered into the, the study as a Harvard student at the age of 19, was rated probably the lowest to achieve and thrive and flourish in his life. He was credited with an E. Why? They said he, he grew up in a wealthy family, but it was relatively loveless. And as a result of that, he didn't have the ability to give love nor receive love. At the age of 19, researchers looked at him and he developed his own hypochondriac uh, and his, his, if you like, his, his, his own um, symptoms and reasons for trying to get people's attentions. He, he was a notorious, if you like, hypochondriac. He would be sick and ill in order to attract people's attention to him, in order to, if you like, get some semblance of attention and love. They rated him a an knee, and they said he probably wouldn't thrive in life. Well, he went on through Harvard, and he graduated, and he became a doctor himself. But he was a terrible doctor because he hadn't received love. He couldn't give love, so he wasn't actually a doctor that you'd probably want to actually go to and attend for any particular reason to show them your ailment. <laughs> but at the age of 35, he says something profoundly miraculous happened to him. <laughs> he developed pulmonary tuberculosis. <laughs> He thought it was the best thing that ever happened to him in his entire life because he, in his own words, said, I got to stay in hospital and do whatever I wanted for an entire year. <laughs> he thought it was the best gift that had ever happened to him in his entire life. <laughs> but he wasn't banking on for this. He said, during hospital, I had a religious experience. It was as though the spirit or God was somehow present in that 12 months of convalescing. During that time... He had nurses come and attend to him. He had doctors come and connect with him. The love and the affection that they gave him over the period of 12 months was revolutionary in changing his life. 
the loveless holes that were in his life were filled, the bucket began to tip over and he began to open up himself and his life in ways that he'd never imagined. Well, well late into his 80s, Camille has scored an A in flourishing and thriving because he has learnt the power, the transforming nature of the connections and social discourse of love. Through all that study, they realised love is powerful. Love not only helps us be healthy, but it also keeps our brains actually functioning, social connections, well into our latter years because it keeps us interacting and sharp. There's something profound about the way in which we have been wired for relationship and for connection. So in the time I have remaining right now, what I'd like to do, us to do, is to unpack the really important question is not what is, if you like, the basis for human flourishing and thriving, but how do we do it in this busy, crazy kind of world in which we live? So the question, if you like, I want to answer for the entire time that we have remaining, is how do we make room for love? How do we do that? And if you want to follow with me, if you have an iOS device or maybe you have a Bible here with you, I'm going to look up and specifically attend to one particular part of the Bible from Luke chapter 19 about a gentleman who's got an unusual name by the name of Zacchaeus. Some of you may have heard of him before. Some of you might be the first time you're actually interacting with this person. But profoundly, what you'll encounter is the way in which Jesus goes about making room for others. In fact, some of you are going to get simply mad with me as I talk about this because you're going to say, Troy, this is just too simple. This is just too simple. Whilst others of you who hear the words in the life and observe Jesus are going to get mad for me for two other reasons. But we'll unpack those a little bit later. So here it goes. This is the life of Zacchaeus and how Jesus made room for others. The story goes like this. They, that is Jesus and his followers, went to Jericho and passed through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector who was very rich. Let's just pause there for a moment. <laughs> Being very rich and a chief tax collector, <laughs> they went hand in hand. Probably like a lot of tax collectors today, they're not probably usually the highest on your lists of friends. In fact, they can be the ones that attract sometimes the greatest ire within our community, right? Well, it was just the same way back then in Zacchaeus's time. But not only was he a tax collector who would collect money from his fellow countrymen and give it to uh, Caesar in Rome, but it was, says here that he was a chief tax collector, which means that any time he extended his home, got new furnishings inside his house, that any one of his fellow countrymen would look at him and say, we know how you're extending your property we know how you're flourishing and thriving right now, Zacchaeus. It's because it's on the back of our own money. If you like, it's through all the hard labors that we have contributed that you are taxing us and skimming a little on the side for yourself. If you like, Zacchaeus would have been one of those gentlemen in our culture right now in Western capitalist society who would have been deemed a successful man. 
He would have been one of those, whether he acquired his wealth through good means um, or, or not, he was the kind of person that would be ticked successful. When I was preparing for this week, I was listening to a gentleman talk about a survey he had undertaken with millennials. He said, we asked a group of millennials what it is they wanted to be when they were older. And he said, 80% of them said, one of the goals that we have in life to achieve in our lives is that we want to be rich. He said, out of that 80%, another 50% said, we'd also like to be famous. <laughs> Zacchaeus was both rich and famous for the wrong reasons. And it goes on and says this, but he was trying to see who Jesus was. But being a small man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran on ahead along the route Jesus was going to take and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Now, there are some times when we read the Bible that we're supposed to pause for a minute and have a little chuckle to ourselves. This is a humorous situation. Here it is, a rich, wealthy, famous person for the wrong reasons, but he's small in stature. And in order to see Jesus, he runs on ahead and climbs up a tree. <laughs> I wonder what it is that was going on in Zacchaeus's life to cause him to want to see Jesus. Perhaps he'd heard about the miraculous deeds that Jesus had been doing. Perhaps he'd heard about the message of Jesus, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, there's a God and he loves you and will welcome you into his life. There is more to life. Maybe Zacchaeus was just curious and he wanted to see the new show in town. But for whatever reason, he ran ahead to see him. And this is what happened. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Zacchaeus, he said to him, hurry up and come down. I have to stay at your house today. I have to stay at your house today. So he hurried up, came down and welcomed him with joy. I think one of the attributes of Jesus, if you asked anyone on the street, what is it that is so appealing about Jesus? I think most people would say there was something incredibly attractive about Jesus' character that he seemed to be able to make room for other people. If you like, he was a, a lover of humanity. There's no record of Zacchaeus prior to this event or following that would make us conclude that Jesus knew him and had formally met him. But what we seem to have is Jesus encountering this man called Zacchaeus for the first time. And we don't know how or why. Maybe it was that God, his father, just nudged him that day as he was walking towards the tree, as other people might have been standing up there as well, to look at one particular man through it all and pause and stop. Maybe it was the Spirit of God just stirring something in Zacchaeus, in Jesus, that would make him stop and look at Zacchaeus. But he knew his name and he looked him in the eye and he spoke to him directly. Zacchaeus, I have come to your house today. This week I was at Super Cheap Auto. I had a headlight that had broken during the week. And uh, when I was at someone's house at the night time, I, I, I tried to fix it, but it didn't work. I'd driven about 30 minutes away and I thought, well, I'll just check the other uh, headlight to see how that looks to see if I can fix the other one. And I, and I tried. And do you know what I did? I broke the other one too. So I drove all the way home 
from the other side of town with my high beam on <laughs> um, so that I could actually get home. So this week I went to Super Cheap Order and I went through and I discovered the, the, the right kind of light I needed to. And he said, look, I can fit them for you, but it's an extra $10 per light globe. I said, that's okay. Uh, I, I'm really astute with cars. I'm an amazing mechanic. I'm just going to do it myself. And so I walked out there into the car park at Super Cheap Auto with, with my, my bonnet up, and uh, I started to fumble on my way through to putting it in. After about 30 seconds, the guy came out. <laughs> he said, I've just been noticing you trying to fix your headlight. I said, yeah, 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 I'm just just... He goes, I think it'd be better if you did it this way. <laughs> he, he wasn't being, he was just being nice. And so he came out and, and he showed me and he fitted it in. I said, thank you, that's so appreciate you showing me how to do it. I'm just going to go and do the other one now. And he waited. <laughs> and I went across to the other side and, and I, I took it out and I began to, and he said, that just fits in really comfortably if you just turn it the right way. And I said, yeah, I've, I've got this. And, and, and I just kept on turning it. And he said, I said, I've got this. <laughs> and I said, how about you do this? <laughs> and he came across and he fitted it in, in in like 10 seconds. And I said, thank you very much. I just so appreciate that. <laughs> and he said, I've just got to get back because there's customers in the shop and I'm just... And just in a very simple way, I thought, isn't that nice? That someone had this, a willing heart. You see, what I've discovered, it's not rocket science or profound in any particular way, that this is so true, is that a willing heart, a willing heart is actually one of the most important aspects when it comes to making room for other people. It's such a gift. You can do it so easily, and yet it can have such a profound effect on someone's day or week or month or lifetime. And the story goes on. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and I've done that one, and he said this, everybody began to murmur when they saw it. He's gone to spend time with a proper old sinner, they were saying. You see, Jesus had this uncanny ability to not only pause and to put his schedule on hold in order to make room for other people, but he also had the profound ability, if you like, because he had a willing heart to actually spend time with people. It wasn't just a passing glance. It wasn't just a, hello, let's be friendly. But there seemed to be this impetus in Jesus that he'd worked out his priorities He'd work out his values so as a result of it, he could actually spend time with other people and it wasn't considered to be this, wasting time. You see, what would happen is that people would look at Jesus and they would say, you are wasting your time with Zacchaeus. But it wasn't a waste of time. For Jesus, it was an opportunity to relate at a deeper level. Why? Because I think he'd worked out his values. Thriving and flourishing world begins with deep-seated time for relationships. Many years ago, I was living in Portland, Oregon with my wife. Some of you may have heard this before, but I went out for a run one day and the clouds descended and it poured and bucketed down like you would not. But I've never been in a thicker rain. I ducked to the closest tree that was on the side of the road and I stood under it as I was being saturated. I was still a few kilometers away from home. 
After a minute or two, I heard a voice behind me. Would you like to come in? I looked around and I was at someone's footpath just in front of their house and it was a middle-aged lady and she had a cuppa in her hand and she just said, would you like to come in? (laughs) Sure. And for the next three hours, I sat in her kitchen. I had a cup of coffee and we talked about life. (laughs) For three hours after I got home, Bron said, where have you been? I said, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) Someone wasted three hours of their life on me. And I still remember to this day. How do we make room for other human beings? It's when we have a willing heart. When we are prepared to waste time that's well spent. The third thing that I see in Jesus is so profoundly good at making room for others. From that same passage, it says this, everybody, that is the whole town, began to murmur when they saw it. He's gone to spend time with a proper old sinner. The insiders, outsiders, the ones who look more appealing and less appealing, the ones who are higher on the social status or lower on the rung. Jesus seemed to have a blind spot in his life for people. If you like, he never saw people on those social status scales or not. He just saw people made in the image of his father, open to be willing participants in his life and kingdom. If you like, Jesus had this uncanny ability to lower the bar all the time. He wouldn't look at someone and say, what can you give back to me in order for me to be friendly with you? Uh, Are you the people, the kind of person that I would like and therefore be attracted to? No. In fact, he seemed to have the ability, the supernatural ability to lower the bar in his estimation to whoever he would meet. He would lower the bar. I'm not going to judge you according to what you do or don't have. He would lower the bar. I'm not going to sort of, if you like, Uh, disconnect from you because you don't have all of the nows or the social cues or status or I'm not going to lower the I'm not going to hire the bar on you if you like because you 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 are actually all welcome into my father's family if you like he had a blind spot when it came to social cues he would lower the bar all the time Some of the most profound relationships and life-giving relationships I've had that you were perhaps thinking about when Cindy was singing earlier on this morning were from those people who you weren't automatically attracted to, but when someone invested, they wasted their time in you because they had a willing heart. Somehow maybe they lowered the bar on you. (laughs) You thought you were lowering the bar on them. (laughs) They became friends and they added value to your life. And you're thankful for it because they had a willing heart. They wasted time on you. They lowered the bar. Wow. Do you want to thrive? Would you like to flourish in life? Social scientists and psychologists say, It's got to do 
this connection. The Bible says we weren't made to be alone. We're wired for companionship. Jesus says that. I want you to love. I want you to make room. Now, this is the point some people are going to get real mad at me. Troy, I am so busy in this complex and changing world, I cannot fit another thing in. And you are just sitting there mad as all heck at me. Because you're just asking me to do another thing. Let me just back up for a moment. Do you have a willing heart? Because you agree that a thriving life begins with connection. Then you're going to have to renegotiate. What does wasting time look like? And what does it mean to lower the bar? Because I'm not adding another thing to your life at all. What I'm trying to do is help you thrive. And that might mean do some reassessing of who I include and who I don't in the daily course of my life, just like the guy from Super Cheap Auto. The second person who'll be upset with me is the one who says, I've tried this, Troy. I have been making room and making room and making room. No one's reciprocated. So you are one side. Don't stay. Because you have profound power to shape another person's life when you do make room from the heart. So do not give up. Keep going. And sooner or later, there will be someone else's life shaped because you've lowered the bar and wasted time and been greedy. That will be shaped by that good. Band's going to come up and they're going to sing a song right now and give us some time to reflect. Because I think we need to pause, don't we? And open up our minds and hearts maybe to what God might say. And as you're moving and twisting and just, just starting to get into a next phase, I want to talk to those of you here who are followers of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just checking God out, I want you to block your ears right now do not listen to a word I'm going to say right now. Do not, under any circumstances, listen to what I'm about to say because this applies to people who actually say, I want to follow Jesus. Because this is what Jesus said about these things. He said this. I'm giving you a new commandment. And it's this. Love one another just as I've loved you. How? My words made room, invested time, lowered the bar for all of them. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. By this, by this, by this. Not sure if there's a lot of love going on right there just over there now. Matt, can you go and fix that for us? Because I want to make sure they come out in one piece. 
Because if you're here this morning and you're going, this doesn't come natural, this isn't easy, this doesn't seem human, then you're getting close to Jesus. Because he says this, or Paul writes this, a follower of his, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But the fruit of God's Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You can do them as often as you want and God will never say, stop it, stop it, stop it. Now those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh which its passions and desires and there's a new spirit that's taken up residence in their lives. How do you do that? You pause for a minute and you say, it's hard. I can't do it myself. Jesus, would you fill me up with your spirit? Would you bring your heart and life into mine? And would you fill me up afresh with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience, your kindness and your goodness? And he comes. He comes. He comes. He does that. Last thing before they sing. If you would like to just reach under your chair right now, there is a little tag sitting under your chair where you're sitting right now that's got a colored piece of paper. Just take that. I know, wow. Happy birthday, happy Christmas, happy New Year's. This is for you. We didn't organize this. We just did a random act. So you sat on the chair you sat on today. And what it is. Wow, I didn't know this would be so exciting, but I love this. The word, the phrase that you have is an action for you this week. All right, enough love. What I'd like you to do this week is go ahead and maybe ask God in the space right now how you can do this in your world, in your life, in your workspace, in your school, in your workplace, in your community, in your home this week to make room for someone else. As you hear Cash sing, Maybe you'd like to pray and say, God, who is this person that you want me to? Maybe you just open yourself up and say, God, would you fill me up with that stuff because I don't have that and I need it. Maybe you're here and you just say, I just want to worship you, God, because you're good. Because you're good. How do you live a thriving life? Make room for your connection.